Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for the privilege to be a vessel. I thank you for a privilege to be a called vessel, God. Not by men, but by God. I thank you, Lord, for my calling. But, Lord, I'm nothing without your active presence, your daily presence in my life. So, Lord, I thank you for the calling, but I need you. I need you now, Lord, to touch my tongue, to touch my heart, and to open the ears of these people with your spirit, Lord Jesus, so that what they hear is not words, Lord, but it's life. It's life that changes them. It's life that, that directs them. It's life that encourages them, God. It's life that challenges them. Father, I'm asking for your anointing in Jesus' name, knowing that you give it, Lord, every time. So, Lord, I praise you today. We exalt you today. I pray that we would listen with faith, God. I pray that we'd listen with an open heart and that the enemy would be blocked from his lies, Lord, from his arrows, from his, his counter-arguments, Lord, that every lie of the enemy would be bound in Jesus' name and that truth would win. Truth would prevail in our hearts today and going forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the, the title of this message, it, it really, I, I, I have two titles. One is a positive and one is a negative. And this sermon is going to have both positive and negative in it. And I have to challenge you right off the bat to tell you that the gospel is both positive and negative. And if we try to make it one or the other, it's no longer the gospel. And it doesn't work. So, so, so bear with me in this. Um, the, 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 my first title was Why Your Christianity Doesn't Work or Why American Christianity Doesn't Work. And the second title, the positive title, is The Time for Singing and Flowers and Fruit Has Come. Praise God. Praise God. Turn, if you will, let's stand as we read uh, Matthew 13, 1 through 9. Stand as we honor the word of God together. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, or to sow seed. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, or by the road, and the birds came and devoured them. Some seed fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now remain standing as I read the, the explanation of the parable. We have a few more verses. They, they stood while Jesus sat on the shore the whole time that he preached, so you can stand a little bit longer. Therefore, hear the parable or understand the parable of the sower. Verse 18. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one or Satan comes and snatches away which was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who receives seed on stony places or on the stony ground, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. 
and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. You may be seated. So in this parable, Jesus is giving a, uh, an earthly story to convey a heavenly meaning. And he's talking about something that they would understand, which was sowing and reaping, which is about plants. And he's talking about different types of soil for one sown on the road or on the wayside, one sown in stony places, and the, the third seed sown um, among the thorns or the weeds, and the fourth seed sown on good ground. All of these types of soils are a picture of the human heart. And it's possible to have to go through stages of, of in your heart where you've gone through all of these stages, where maybe at one point you're a roadside here, you hear the gospel and you don't understand it, the devil comes and snatches it away. And it's possible to be a stony ground here, and that's what we're gonna we're gonna focus on. But before I get into this, I want to say something. As you look outside, can you put that 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 graphic up? As you look outside. It's obvious that spring is here, right? Two, three weeks ago, if you're a plant person like I am, you know that spring is near because you go out and you're looking at your plants and you're looking at your trees and you're looking at the branches and you're looking for buds and you check the buds and you say, oh yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a bud from this year. And you bend the, the branch a little bit, the thin ones, and you say, ah, oh, that's life in there. It's flexible. It's not brittle. And you know that spring is near. But now it's undeniable. Look, this is me holding a plant, that I, uh, um, a crimson weeping uh, red bud that I planted last year that now the flowers are coming out. And it's, I saw the buds two, three weeks ago. Now the flowers are coming out. And it's so exciting if you're a plant lover, if you're into horticulture, if you, if you like the different variety of the beauty of plants. It's, it's so exciting to see this new life coming forth. And I want to say to you at Exxonal Church, those of you that have been here uh, for a while, maybe not from the beginning, but for a while, that I see flowers in many of you. I see flowers in many of you. I see new life, the life of Christ beginning to bud in you. And you know what the flower is, is, is a promise of? It's a promise of fruit, right? In, in, in trees that are... Um, there's two types of trees. There's, there's trees that produce fruit, and there's non-fruit-producing non trees that are just for beauty. They're called ornamental trees. I love ornamental trees, too. But Jesus Christ has made believers to be fruit-bearing trees. He's not meant us to be just leaf-bearing trees, right? Flowers and then leaves. He's meant us to be flowers, leaves, and fruit. Praise God. And I want to encourage you today that I see the fruit of Christ beginning in many of you and growing in many of you. There's a life, there's a faith, there's a vitality, and I see grace doing a work in you, and I want to encourage you with that. Hallelujah. But I want to talk today about the stony ground here. I want to talk to you how it's possible to be a Christian and, to, and it just doesn't work. It's just not what, it's not what the Bible says it should be. And you can be look at your life and say, I've been a Christian for 20 years or 25 or 30 years, however long. And you say, why isn't my, my experience like others' experience I see? Why isn't my experience like, like it says in the Bible? Why doesn't this line up? Well, Jesus said this. 
He said that the seed that's, that fell onto the stony ground or the rocky ground, that it sprang up quickly. It sprang up quickly, but when the heat came, when the sun came, when the trials of life came, it withered because it had no root. It, it needed the rocks to be taken out of the soil so that the roots could go down into good soil and find moisture and find nourishment from the soil. And because the rocks were there, it just sprang up immediately and then it withered away. And many Christians experience that. They hear the gospel. They hear about the cross and, and, and about forgiveness of sins and, and that God will receive them. And they say, this is good news. This is wonderful. This is positive. This is incredible. And they believe and they receive it. And immediately they spring up with joy. There's a joy in their life. There's an excitement about the kingdom of God. But something is wrong under the surface because the stones have not been removed. The stones have not been tilled out and dug out so that the root can go down deeper, so that plant can continue in upward growth, so it can produce flowers and leaves and fruit and greater joy, increased joy than that first joy. What is it? What are the stones? What is the stone in the heart that prevents the root from going down and causes people to have an experience where they say, yeah, I remember so long ago when I had joy. I remember so long ago when this was real to me and, and it was life to me and now it's just a bunch of dry doctrines and it's just, oh yeah, that's what I believe. It's a, it's a day of the week or two days of the week. God intended it to be in joy that's increasing, increasing, increasing. Growth that's increasing, that's increasing. Are there times of pruning? Yes, there's times of cutting. Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches. My father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes. Well, why does he prune it? So it'll bear more fruit. Are there times of cutting back? Are there times where the word of God challenges you? Yes, but it's for more fruit. It's for more abundance. It's for more life in Christ, more love of Christ. Mark 8, 35. For whosoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it or preserve it. Jesus is saying you've got to lose your life to gain it. You've got to lose your life in this world to find it in me. Mark 10, 29 to 30 says, And Jesus answered and said, Truly I say to you, there is no man that has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mothers or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he will receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. He's saying, don't don't think that it's all the blessings that you're going to get when you do give your life for Christ. There's going to be persecutions too. But even those are Christ's pruning. Even those are for our good. The church in America has preached a crossless gospel for too long. Oh, she's preached about the positive and the wonderful benefits of Christ's cross, but without the necessity to lose our life, to find his life. This is why so many Christians are completely stunted in real spiritual life and growth. And they're withering. They want the positive without the negative. 
But the negative is where new life begins. You've got to prepare the soil. You've got to get the rocks out before the seed can flourish. The church in America is filled with stony place Christians. They heard the beautiful message of the gospel. They received the word with joy, but their joy didn't last. Their roots couldn't get down into the moist soil because rocks prevented their roots from being established. When difficulties arise because of the word challenging them to remove the stones in their hearts, they refuse and they soon fall away. See, the Holy Spirit is so gracious. He's going to come to us and say, there's some stones in your heart and I've got to get those out. But love never forces. Love will plead with you, but love will not force you. The Lord will not say, I'm getting those rocks out, like it or not. No, he says, there's some rocks there. Would you give those to me? Would you let me take those out? Would you let me help you dig those out? And we have a choice. But Christians in America today say, oh, I want the positive. Give me the positive, the beauty of Christ, the love of Christ, the forgiveness. But don't tell me that i got to lay down my life and surrender all to him. These are shallow soil Christians and don't have the joy to endure to the end. You see, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Not the completeness of your theology having all the right answers. The joy of the Lord is your strength. God meant this life to be a vital life, a joy-filled life, where he gives us strength through the trials of life. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You need it to endure to the end. You need it to come to you when you're discouraged. Hallelujah. God intends that the Christian life be filled with joy. Yes, there are many trials and difficulties, but the joy of the Lord is our strength. And the joy of the surrendered life far outweighs the sorrows of life. The joy of the surrendered life far outweighs the sorrows that all of us will face. So what are the stones we need to dig out of the soil of our hearts in order to continue in this joy with Jesus? Any and every love which competes for our love for him. Those are the stones. Those are the rocks. Any love, every love which competes with our love for him. Luke 14, 25. It says, now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them. Now, Jesus is moving along in his ministry. He's been healing the sick. There's an incredible reputation. There's masses of people around him. And what does he say? I'm going to go start a megachurch? No, that's what most of us would say. Most pastors today would do that. we got masses of people who say, we're going to build a bigger building. Jesus comes with this strong word. Listen to what he says. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Here Jesus uses hyperbole, which is exaggerated language to make a powerful point. He's saying your love for me must so far exceed your love for other relationships that it looks like hatred in comparison. All of our closest relationships must be surrendered to God in order to follow Jesus, even our own life. But my mom and I, we're so close, and if I follow Christ, she's going to be offended, and it's going to hurt our relationship. Jesus said, do you love me more than her? Your love for me must make your love for your mom look like hatred. 
That's what he's saying. He's not saying go be mean to your mom and tell her, I don't care about you, mom. I hate you just so you know I'm a follower of Jesus now. That's not what he's saying. No. You love her by saying yes to Jesus. Love Jesus. Be willing to put all other relationships, friendships, family relationships on the cross and say, Jesus, I'm following you. I still love my family. I'm going to do everything I can to bring them with me. But I'm following you, Jesus. In verse 27, And whoever does not bear his cross or take up his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Here's the negative side of the gospel. We want just the flowery. We want the Joel Osteen gospel. I mean, that's what people want. That's why his church is packed to the gills. It's all about you and your best life now and your prosperity. But guess what? There's no power in that gospel. None. It's wood, hay, and stubble. Thank you, brother. It's nothing. But the true gospel produces life. It produces fruit. It produces power. Hallelujah. There's a negative side. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Count the cost. Count the cost. Don't be that stony place Christian that starts with joy and then the joy withers away because you won't take out the stones. Verse 33, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. It's relationships. It's probably number one stone. And then it's the things of this world. It's the mammon. It's the stuff that you have. It's your possessions. It's your accomplishments. Whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. All is a big word. Doesn't leave anything out. Jesus is saying, you can't follow me with all your love for other things and all your own plans for your life and all your self-love. You must forsake all to follow me. This is dying to self. Luke 18, 28 says, Then Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there's no one who's left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times, that's, that's multiplication, many times more in this present time and in the age to come, eternal life. Listen, when there is a leaving behind the loves of this world, there is a death. But that dying is what makes room for God to bring his abundant life, to bring resurrection. God's return is always a multiplying life. Those who leave all experience, those who leave everything or leave all, they experience divine multiplication in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. Listen, if a Christian is not producing fruit, they're not living the Christian life. Not the way Jesus intended. Everything that dies trusting in Christ comes back to life. Everything. Everything that dies looking to Jesus is resurrected. And you say, what am I going to have to wait? 20 years for the resurrection? Jesus waited three. Look, the time it takes, the, the reason it, it, it takes so long is that we're so slow to die. We're so slow to take up the cross. We're so slow to accept the negative and count the cost and say, God, give me strength. I'm loving you above everything else. I'm leaving all to follow Christ. Praise God. 
I think of all the new family I've found in the body of Christ since being saved. Multiplied family and friends closer oftentimes than blood family. But listen, when we're willing to die to everything we love in this life for a greater love, Christ, resurrection always follows. I believe the family we receive after forsaking our own includes new people in the church, but also the same natural family we gave up. God wants to save your family more than you do. He does. But he needs you to die so that his life can come out of you so you will be life to them. But you holding on to them, you'll never bring them to life. It says this of Jesus in John chapter 7 that even his own brothers didn't believe in him. But later, in Acts chapter 1, it says that in, in the upper room were Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So they had a change. They had a conversion experience. Jesus didn't say, well, you don't believe in me. Well, I can't go to the cross then. I can't continue on my mission for God. He just continued to follow the Father. He wasn't just cold when his family came to him and he said, who are my mother, my brother, my sisters, those that hear the, will, the word of God and do it? He loved his natural family too. God wants to bring an incredible reunion you follow Christ. If you're the first one in your family to really get a hold of Christ, you be the one to follow Christ with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and get, let God take care of the rest. Let God bring resurrection in your family. Hallelujah. Your, your death in fully following Jesus is God's plan to bring them home, your family. You're putting your face to follow Jesus and lose everything will turn around for great reunions and new life in God. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus' joy in facing the cross was his confidence in the new life it would bring to many who would later believe in him. You, believers in Jesus Christ, you're the joy that Jesus said, I've got to face the cross. This is the Father's will. This is the plan of redemption. But I have joy because I know what's going to happen. My laying my life down is going to bring new life to many. Praise God. Praise God. You know what Jesus said? Except a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He was talking about himself falling into the ground in the Father's will and dying and producing, multiplying much grain. But that's also true for us. Unless we fall into Christ and die, we remain alone. If you look at your life as a Christian, you've been saved 5, 10, 15 years, and you're not producing fruit, you're not falling into the ground and dying. You're not surrendering all to Christ. When you surrender, which is really dying, it's giving up your will for his. Resurrection will come. New life will come. And it won't because you're making it happen. It'll be by the grace of God. Hallelujah. 
Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. How should we think? Like Jesus. Verse 6. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. The New American Standard reads verse 7. But he emptied himself. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. Jesus willingly emptied himself of the privileges of the Godhead. I'm not saying he wasn't still deity, but he emptied himself of the privileges of heaven, putting on the weakness and the mortality of fallen man so he could die for all men. He came as a servant, as a bondservant. He came emptying himself so he could make others live. Praise God. He died that we might live through him, but our resurrection life is found by trusting and dying with him. If we will walk in resurrection power, we must first follow his steps in emptying ourselves of our own desires and dying by becoming bondservants to God and to men. Philippians 2, 8 through 11, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Humility expresses itself in surrender to God. Humility expresses itself in dying to my will to take up God's will. If a person walks around and they act humble and they're, oh, you know, putting on that fake, that fake and that false humility, the real proof in the pudding is that they're surrendering to God, is that they're laying down their lives for God and for others, that they're becoming a servant to others. Praise God. Jesus humbled himself. It says, verse 9, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, it says in verse 9, God has also highly exalted him. Why? Because he obeyed the Father and laid down his life. He didn't hold on to his life. He laid it down. He fell into the ground and died. And God highly exalted him. He raised him up. There is a facet of the goodness of God. Human minds have barely grasped Barely grasped, those who choose to trust him in total surrender and die to their own life and their own plans, his love cannot lead them in death. His love does not leave us barren. He resurrects everyone who dies trusting in him. This is true in the small deaths, the small decisions we make to surrender to Christ, and in the big deaths. Praise God. He resurrects. He is the God both of our dying and our resurrection. Why are we so afraid to die when he's promised us life? Right on the other side. Trust me. Trust me with your life completely. I'll bring life. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Then why, when you look around the church in America, why is there so little power? There's a lot of word. There's a lot of Bible teaching out there. It's on the radio everywhere, and some of it is very good. But why is there so little power? Because few are willing to die, to follow in the master's steps, 
to suffer the loss of their life to gain his. John 12, 24, I read it before. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. The secret to resurrection multiplication is dying. It's dying. I'm sorry if that sounds negative. It's God's path. It's God's way. And he's not changing it for me. And he's not changing it for you. But when we choose to die, he promises resurrection life. He promises fruitfulness. Praise God. Verse 25, he who loves his life will lose it. If you don't trust God and you're going to give in to fear and say, no, i got to protect, i got to preserve my life, i got to preserve my relationships and my stuff, and God, I, I can't do it. You're like the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He said, keep the commands. And then he says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And the man went away very sad. That excitement he had, that joy withered. Because Jesus was saying, you got to take up your cross and follow me. you got to be willing to give me all. I, I tell you this, if you're not, if you count the cost. I'll kneel down at this platform and beg you to, to give your, your all to Jesus. But if you're not willing to count the cost, what's the point of continuing in church? What's the point of continuing in a dead and a lifeless Christianity? When you're withered, when there's no fruit, when you're holding on to your own life, what's the point? Jesus says, follow me or follow the world. Make a choice. I love you. I want you to follow me, but my love will not force you. Choose by your own choice, and you'll find that I abundantly reward those that trust me. Hallelujah. Philippians 3, 7 through 11, Paul said this. He said, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or dung that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. The joy of the Christian life is tied to laying down our life for Christ to know him. But it's also tied to laying down our life for others. We don't get saved and then go live in a monastery Shutting out this crazy world so we can live in a spiritual vacuum. It may be tempting, but that's not the path for, of, of any believer. God saves us, teaches us who he is, and then sends us out with his love and power to a dark world full of broken people. Praise God. When Paul said in verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. He wasn't talking about earning or attaining the resurrection of his physical body in heaven. He was talking about laying down his life on a daily basis, dying to himself, taking up his cross, so that the resurrection power of Christ would work in him and work through him to other people to bring life in them. Praise God. Philippians 2.4, it says, Let each of you look, not, look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You see, if the gospel takes root in you and your life is laid down, 
You're not going to want to be a monk living up on a, on a mountain, chanting prayers and whatever. You're not going to want to. Because God's going to pour his love into you and he's going to give you a servant's heart that wants to serve other people and show them his love and bring them his life. It's supernatural. It doesn't exist in the old first Adam. It's in the second Adam. It's in Christ, our resurrected Savior. That's that heart to serve others. It's, we could, I could preach from the pulpit, serve others, serve others, serve others. Look, it has to be an internal thing. It has to be a growth thing that comes from laying down your life and receiving the heart of God. Praise God. 1 Corinthians 9, 19, Paul said this, For though I'm free from all men, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Why would Paul make himself a servant to everyone around him? Because God poured out his love into a man that died and gave up his life. Paul, God made Paul, that gave him that servant heart so that others could be saved. You know what the power of the gospel, what's lacking in the gospel today? It doesn't come from a heart that's been broken and changed and wants to serve others. There's power in that kind of love. There's power in that gospel, and Paul knew it. He knew that serving others with Christ's heart would produce fruit. It would produce life. Hallelujah. Paul emptied himself of everything that was once gained to him, calling it dung or, or rubbish. The favored status he once held with the high priest was rubbish to him. Oh, Paul, you want letters to go to Damascus? Even the high priest is going to give them to you. The high priest's face shines to you. Paul says, rubbish to me. Rubbish to me. Praise or curses from men meant, men meant nothing to him anymore. He was captured by the glory and the beauty of Jesus' magnetic draw. Paul got the stones out. He got the stones out of the soil. He wasn't going to be a happy Christian. I met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and now I'm going to hold on to my life. No, he gave everything to Christ. Paul didn't get saved and become a, couch, a Christian couch potato. He laid down his life and he picked up God's calling to become God's servant to all men. In Paul's dying to his life, he found Christ's life and the world was changed. It was turned upside down. I want to finish with just a few scriptures. Hebrews 10, 32 to 35. I want to say this especially to people who are either new Christians and maybe you feel like you're that stony hard Christian that you've had joy and now it's dying or maybe you're just entering into this, considering this new life in Christ. I want to, I want to read this passage, this passage from Hebrews 10, 32 to 35. Paul is speaking. I believe it's the writer, the writer is Paul. Whoever the writer is, it's the Holy Spirit. And he says, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated. In other words, you saw Christ. You, Christ became real to you. Your spirit was illuminated. He says, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. If you think this Christian life is a rose-petaled pathway and it's, everything is wonderful, like Joel Olstein says, you're wrong, and he's wrong. There's going to be sufferings. There's going to be trials. But God is going to reveal his glory through the trials if you'll cling to him. He said, you endured a great struggle with the sufferings. This is to brand new baby Christians right into the fire. Right into the fire. He says, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations. What are reproaches? That's insults from other people. These people in the book of Hebrews, they became followers of Christ, and it cost them something. It cost them something. People were making fun of them. They became a spectacle, and they went into trials and tribulations. 
And it says, partly while you became companions of those that were so treated or treated, treated the same way. You became part of the church. See, you can't really become part of the church unless you're willing to get out to die to those old relationships. It says, but you became companions of those that were treated the same way. Verse 34, for you had compassion on me and my chains. That's why I think it's Paul. He often talked about his chain. You had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. He said, when you got saved, you won, you had compassion on me. And when your goods were taken away because of following Christ, you joyfully accepted it, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession of you, for yourselves in heaven. Praise God. Therefore, don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward. How is this possible? They had joy in loss. They had joy in tribulation. They had joy in being made a reproach and a spectacle. Why? Because the resurrection life was coming to them. Because they laid down their life for Christ. See, that's real Christianity. That's New Testament Christianity. That's power Christianity. That's the real thing. A friend recently shared this with me that he heard this a testimony. It was actually a testimony from Francis Chan that when he was in India, he observed these Christians that were so full of life, so full of love, so full of joy in Christ. And he, and he asked them, he said, don't you have any like carnal Christians? You know, the kind of just half in, half out, you know, the, the, the typical stuff we see in America? They said, no, there are no carnal Christians in India because it costs you something to follow Christ. You follow Christ in India, it's going to affect your income. You follow Christ in India, it's going to affect your family and your friendships. You will be cast out. You will suffer persecution. They may beat you in your body. You may die. There's no room for a carnal Christian in India or Pakistan or North Korea or many other persecuted countries. But my friend, they have the real deal. Those Christians have the life and power of the living God. And God is producing fruit in their life. Resurrection fruit in their life. Praise God. Praise God. That's the Christianity that must be preached again. That's the truth of the gospel. Listen, I'm going to close with this. I said at the beginning, I see flowers in many of you. I see the tender bud. I see the promise of fruit. I see Christ working in you. And you can't know how much that encourages me. Are we small in numbers? Yes. But I'm telling you, I see life in people that's sprouting up, that's blooming, and it's beautiful. And I'd rather have that than a packed church full of ho-hum, dead people. So I see fruit. And I want to see fruit in all of you. I want to see fruit in everyone. I want to see the, 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 the hands that hang down be lifted up in praise to God. I want to see the weak knees stabilized in Christ. I want to see you stand and begin to produce fruit for God. Not because you're trying to be fruitful, but because you've believed God. You've trusted him with your life that if you lay it down, he'll resurrect it. That if you lay down your relationships that are precious to you and the things that are precious to you, that he'll resurrect it. 
give you new life. So I'm begging you, on behalf of Christ, give everything to God. There's no time. There's no time for Christianity as usual. There's no place for it. I don't want to see you wither and die. I want to see you spring up into new life, getting the stones out. So I want to open this altar to you to come forward. Maybe, maybe you're a fruitful Christian, but there's some stones in your life the Holy Spirit has put his finger on. Or maybe you haven't made a full decision to Christ and you see him, hear him, calling you in your spirit to respond to Jesus Christ and to give him all. To give up the control of your life and the, and the loves of your life and to put him first. I open this altar to you today and I ask you just to come and to let the Holy Spirit dig out the stones of your heart so that your roots can go down deep into Christ. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, touch our hearts, God. Jesus. Deliver us from stony heart Christianity, Jesus. Deliver us from partial surrender, Jesus. Help us to trust you, Lord, to give you our life, all of our life. To follow you, Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, God, that you, you make our bed, Lord. You bring us into death if we're willing to surrender. We may not know how. We may not know how to get the stones out, but your spirit will show us. Your spirit will lead us into that place of death. You'll lead us into the tomb, but you'll also say to us, come forth. Come forth. The time for singing has come. The time, the time of flowers and the time of fruit has come. Winter's passed. Spring has come. There's new life in me. Jesus, help us. Help us today, God. Help us to make repentance real, God, and help us, God, to have hope, Lord, of your new life in us, Jesus. Amen.